Hi, this is Rachel McElroy. Hi, this is Griffin McElroy. And this is wonderful. Isn't it just? I think so. Isn't it just, though? Hey, can I say something? Uh-huh. Didn't watch the Emmys last night. All right, so we could do a lot of stuff with that. About not watching it. Yeah, sure. Um, and not in like a, uh, like we're so cool because we didn't watch the- Yeah, no, we just didn't. Um, but let's talk about some of our favorite Emmy memories from previous years where we did enjoy the program. Ooh, I'm not going to remember any. Emmys, as we all know, short for Emma Lines, who made the first TV show, which Ooh. was mm-hmm. Alf. Oh my gosh. So, um, hitting me where I live. Yeah. Emmeline knew had your number. Let's um, go back and forth naming Alf characters. Okay. I'll start. Alf. Willie. The cat. What was the cat's name, Griffin? Garfield. Oh, geez. All right. I'll just give you Lucky. Lucky the cat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there was Raquel Akmanik. Uh, Spiven. Is like Stephen, but with a P in there because they Kate are. Kate was Willie's wife. Uh, Mel Mac. Nope. Was the planet? Yeah, it's not a character though. Gordon Shumway. That's Alf's real name. Randy Shumway. <laughs> no. ah, you win. Okay, you know more shit about Alf than I Gosh, do. I need to start an Alf podcast. What would the name of that be called? Ooh, buddy. Um. Uh. Maybe help me, Rhonda. Why? Well, on Mel Mac. <laughs> <laughs> his girlfriend's name was Rhonda. Okay. Uh, and when he hears the song, Help Me, Rhonda, it takes him back. Okay. The memories of Rhonda. Wow. Like sexual memories? Do they ever really get into Alf's sexuality? And he has like- this weird thing with Lynn for a while, which is the teenage daughter. Oh, wait, what? <clears throat> well, they don't get together, but there's this tension. You did say there's this weird thing between them. Yeah, no, there's a tension. He is a weird... He becomes interested in her. Sure, but he is like a wrinkle-nosed little goblin monster. Oh my gosh, Griffin. And she... No, let's just call him how he sees him. And she is a human being um, woman. How did they think that was cool for the TV show? I guess Mork and Mindy, though, they, they, they like were... They were official, right? Yeah. And he was for sure an alien. But he didn't have a weird wrinkle nose. He was... He looked a lot like Robin Williams, the actor. Mm-hmm. So, what's your small wonder this week? Small <laughs> wonders is another TV show. Well, I think it's just I think it's singular. Sure, I don't think there's multiple on that show. Do you have a small wonder this week? I do. Okay, uh, I am reading a book. I am so <laughs> fucking proud of you. This is the second book I ever. Have. It's so exciting. The first one was the third Harry Potter book. Mm-hmm. Now, I uh, since Henry has been born, I have not read many books. I read John Hodgman's Vacation Land, that which is was the, excellent. The only book I think I've read. And then I read another one. Uh, well, actually, I'm currently reading. I don't want to get ahead of myself. You may not finish. Let's leave yourself yeah, some no, wiggle room true. to really. Although fucking... I got it from the library, so like I, the pressure's on. Okay. Uh, it's Modern Lovers by Emma Straub. Okay. I'm not finished with it yet, but I'm enjoying it. Is it good? I think so. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. Much she about wrote books. the vacationers a few years back. Okay. Uh, which was like a real hip summer read. All right. Um, my small, oh my God, the new season of great British bake off or great oh, British baking show on Netflix is so fucking good. Noel Fielding is so good. The other co-host whose name I can't remember is very, very good. It's all so good. Mm-hmm. And the challenges are a little bit more design oriented rather than like bake a good 
you know, a nice loaf of bread. It's like bake a loaf of bread that looks like a handbag. Like they do that sometimes in the old seasons, mm-hmm. but this season it's just like every challenge has like a wild design element. Yeah, they're to trying it. out a lot of new stuff. It's very watchable, and it, it was watchable before, but now it seems a little more. I don't. I don't know. A little more risque, I guess. Yeah. There's a lot of very suggestive humor. There no is. joke. Um. So that's good. Uh, I tell you what's good. The uh the movie from the '80s, The Thing. Um, I, I started, I went down like a YouTube rabbit hole of like practical special effects and I watched like a oh. video about the practical special effects of the thing. And man, I fucking love that movie. It is like, it is gory as hell and like campy as hell, but the, the special effects in that movie that they accomplish, I mean, do you do, remember the first time you saw it? It was not, I was maybe, I think I was in college. Okay. I feel like you you were you a big proponent of that. Yeah, movie. I think we watched it together, right? Yes. Everything like all the stuff that happens in that movie, that scene where like the guy turned every scene where guys turn into monsters is is all like puppetry and and practical effects. Uh, and watching this video, I was like, I already was really impressed by it, but seeing like just how ahead of its time it was and how like brilliant that show was, like really, really, really blew me away. I'm a sucker for like really good practical effects in movies. Mm-hmm. I also watched a thing about the Lord of the Rings movie specifically, um, like Force Perspective and how they accomplished uh, like the height differences between the Hobbits and uh, you know Gandalf. Yeah. Uh, it's like really fucking fascinating because they had to do that shit the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, yeah. Practical effects in general, I'm into um, the fly also, um, but the thing is just a good flick. I haven't seen the the not remake. They made like a prequel in 2011. I haven't seen it, but um, I think you go first this week. I do. Do you want to tell me what it is? Three words, Griffin. A wolf. <laughs> Friday night. Oh, lights. My. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, this one's going to be a real touchdown, this segment. Ooh, that's nice. Yeah. Uh, Love that show. I have watched the whole series maybe three times, four times. I think four times, maybe. I think I've done just the two. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's fair. Because you watched it once. I watched it with you for the first time, but you had watched it before. Uh, There was a sort of cult of fandom around this show for all of my Austin friends that yes. you all sort of adopted me into when yeah, I moved down pretty here. Pretty much immediately when Griffin moved here, we were like, you have to you sit have down to and watch, watch the show. show. And I didn't really get it. Um, but like they shot a lot of stuff locally. And so I think yeah. that it, when you lived in Austin, like in that era, you had to be watching this fucking show um, because they, they shot stuff down at the, the Alamo Freeze or whatever the actual establishment is. <laughs> Uh, so this was a five season show from 2008 to 2011. Really a four season show. They had a, it's weird. You know how some hotels skip the 13th um, floor? They just go one right into three and then four and five. Isn't that (laughs) weird how they did that? Uh, Season two is not very good. Yeah. I'm not here to talk about that. No. Uh, a bunch of very popular actors these days got their start. Or not their start necessarily, but you know, <clears throat> gained notoriety. Oh, in the sure. Show Friday yeah, Cuba Gooding Jr., uh, Bobcat Goldthwait. Uh, Whoa, what is this show you're describing? <laughs> what an unusual pairing that is. Yeah, sure. Um, Vince Vaughn. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, Rutger Hauer. I don't even know what that name is you just said. Cool. Uh, no, yeah, there are some big, some big names on this one. 
Uh, so Michael B. Jordan. Michael B. Jordan, indeed. <laughs> Jesse Plemons. Jesse Plemons is maybe the big, uh, surprisingly, the biggest name know, to come out of I the know. TV show. Uh, Minka Kelly. Sure. Um, gosh, and there's any number. I mean, Kyle Chandler and Connie Burton were already pretty established actors, but definitely got them a lot of attention. Yeah, I've seen the kid who played, um, oh my God, I guess we have to watch it again because I can't remember <laughs> the, the backup quarterback's name. Uh, Saracen? Saracen. Uh, I've seen him in a, in, a few, in a few flicks. Matt Loria? Yeah, I think that might be his name. And of course, uh, Riggins. Uh, was, oh, he was Taylor in, Kitsch. Taylor Kitsch had a sort of, everyone sort of thought he was going to be the biggest thing to come out of the show. He was meteoric, and then we haven't seen him lately. Oh, yeah, like a meteor, he crashed into Earth, oh, or should I say Mars, or should I say John Carter's Welcome to Mars, or whatever the flick was called. Yeah. But while they were all together, they were making some real magic here Oh, in my Friday gosh, Night that Lights. show. So that's one of those shows where as soon as I finish it, I think about when I can reasonably watch it again. Yes. Uh, so I found this really great kind of analysis uh, from The Atlantic in 2016, uh, which was the 10-year anniversary. Oh, my no, God. that can't be right, is it? Maybe. Hmm. Well, I just said it's it premiered 2008. It ran from 2006 to 2011. Oh, my dates are wrong. Well, that makes sense because 2008 to 2011. Would not be enough seasons. Would not be enough seasons. So... Let me talk a little bit about what the article says. Okay. And I think you'll appreciate it. It showed those people struggling and striving and doing what they had to to get by. In the television landscape that largely obscured notions of class and financial struggle, Friday Night Lights grappled explicitly with money and with the psychic strain that so often accompanies its absence. The Riggins brothers and their foraging of copper wire. Spoilers to spoilers. Come. Jason Street teaming up with them to flip a house in a down market. The Taylors giving up their dream home, another turn of events foreshadowed in the series pilot, once they realized how much stress the higher mortgage payments would add to their lives. Tyra and Julie working at Applebee's, Matt and Smash working at Alamo Freeze, Vince working at Ray's Barbecue. A crucial element of Friday Night Lights' expansive empathy was to recognize the ways that money can serve as its own kind of supporting character. Interesting. I've never really thought about Isn't the show like point, that. Though? Yeah. There, but, the show, well, the, the article talks about how there's a lot of cliches in the show. Sure. You know, like there's football players, there's cheerleaders, there's like nerds. And there's this idea of like, oh, this is like every other show. But there's something about it that feels very honest. And I think it's things like that that make the difference. It would not surprise me if there was a large part of our audience who's never watched this show before. So maybe like it would be worth explaining that it's a show about a high school football team yeah. in small town in Texas. Yes. Um, but it's a very, very good and like beloved football team that uh, the town is sort of built around. Um, and you hear that and you think fucking varsity blues and then yeah. go ahead and grab the steering wheel and jerk it clean in the other direction <laughs> because it's super not that at all. Um, and yeah. it, it because people, a lot of people heard the title of the show and heard that it was about football and just assumed it wasn't for them. Oh, I don't care about football really at, at all. But the football's so but good the on the show. football is very good. <laughs> this, this has maybe pound for pound the, uh, Maybe other than Battlestar, like the best pilot episode yes. uh, of any TV oh, show. Gosh, what a big swing that it, pilot they, it takes. It is a big fucking swing. But yeah, what I like, like about what that article says, now that I think people who didn't know what the show is kind of yeah. know a bit more about it, is that it does like, it does, it is, it gets into like the... 
like the kind of bad behavior that you would expect from like a a uh, very talented jock in a uh, small town football team where everybody in the town wants to like protect the football yeah. team at all costs. Like it gets into that. It certainly, it doesn't shy away from that. There's so much other stuff that feels like a local study. Yes. Like it feels very, very yes. deeply Texas in a, in yes. a, in a way that is not like anything I've ever seen before because it's not like obvious in, in any way. Yeah. Um, it's got atmosphere like for days. Yeah. Well, and the other thing the article talks about is how each character like gets their time, you know, like there's no, there's no throwaway characters on this show. Like every character obviously serves a role, but you get to find out a little bit about why they are the way they are and why they're serving that role. And, and, uh, and it's just, it's just kind of incredible. It, It like, and I feel like if you watch that first episode, like if you get all the way through that first episode, like you're in, you're in, you yeah. know, it, it, it takes this very real thing for a lot of people. I mean, if you grow up in a small town, football kind of is, sure. that's what people do. You know, there isn't a lot to do on Friday night in a small town, except go to the football game and it kind of gives you that energy, but then also kind of the very real stories behind it. And it's so good. Oh God, it's so good. It's so good. Um, yeah, I could talk all night about I Friday know, Night Lights. There's a lot of like very powerful things, but I just think you should just watch it because uh, I don't want to. Spo- I was going to talk like, oh, what's your favorite moment? But I like know. that's too. I can't do that. Um, do you want to know my first thing? Yes. My first thing is, and I had to be careful about how I worded it. Getting up high in a big city, get getting high up. Maybe that's a better getting high up in a big city. Getting high, getting high up in a big city that I'm visiting. That's probably the best imaginable okay. way to put it. Okay. See, this is a good conversation for us to have. Yes. So pretty much any time we go, when we travel and go to a place where there is a big high up place um, where you can see a lot of the city, like a tall tower or something, I always want to go right up that bad boy and look down at the place that I am visiting. Um. And I feel like this has a pretty universal appeal, although I'm, I think maybe you are dissenting on this because you want to have a, an argument about it. You can tell from your <laughs> posture that you're like leaned in and ready to strike. Well, here's the thing. So I do appreciate that it gives you kind of your bearings to be able to see kind of the right. relative landmarks. But Getting- I will tell you, I get up there and I look around and I say, how long am I supposed to spend up here? <laughs> I think if you, I think if you try to do it correct, I think if you try to do it right like that, like it's just gonna, it's you, you probably won't enjoy it. Because also, there's, I do like a lap, like, and I try and do a very leisurely lap around the space. Sure. Uh, and then what ends up happening is, I think, okay, yeah. I've definitely been up some towers in some places. I don't want to name cities because I don't want to like PO anybody who lives in these cities. But I've gone up a tower and looked around and seen the city from all around and thought like, okay, that's kind of cool. But I've definitely had experiences at the tops of towers where like you couldn't pull me off that fucking thing. You want trash on the arch? Is that what you're getting ready to do? The arch doesn't count. The arch. (laughs) I love St. Louis. I love you. You are a beautiful city. Uh, first of all, a lot of people might not even know that you can go up the Gateway Arch, which is the big yeah. arch in St. Louis. There is a, a little elevator. Very little. Very fucking little. And they like slam like six people into these tiny cars where you are literally like making a little 
um, like not with your knees. Uh, and then you get up top and you are in a tiny crawl space with other people with these six inch high windows. You can like look straight down. on. It's really, really, uh, <laughs> it was built a very, very long time It really time ago. scared the shit out of me. But, uh, the first time I went up Willis tower, or Sears tower in Chicago, I'd been living there for like nine months of the one year that I lived there. Yeah. And it was incredible because That's I looked true. around and it was for the first time, like I felt like I was getting this context for this city that I was living in and really loved living in. Um, and it's not like I was up there doing some cartography. It was, it was just like a moment of really, uh, appreciating the, the size and the scope of, of the city that I was living in and seeing some like landmarks. I could actually, you know, kind of see Roscoe village. I could see my neighborhood from, from on top of the tower. And that was really, really cool for me because holy shit, I've been living there for a long time and I, I've never really seen it like this. Um, I really liked, I spent a lot, we spent a long time uh, on, in the uh, Tokyo Tower in, in Tokyo, which is like right in the middle of the city. There's also Tokyo Sky Tree, which is newer and bigger, but also really hard to get Where into. Where did we have a little coffee? Uh, that was in Tokyo Tower. I appreciated um, that. That was cool. They gave me something to do. Yeah, they have like a little <laughs> restaurant up there that we, we had a little coffee and looked out at the city. And like, this was a city that we were having an incredible weekend and I'd always wanted to visit. And now like, I had this sort of sim city view of yeah. like this new perspective of and i thought i i don't know i think that's really cool i'm very into um the idea of when when traveling especially when traveling to like a big going overseas or doing some destination like that the idea of like doing something like this or going to like a um like a history museum for the place that you are visiting we did that both in in hong kong and we went to like a uh like a japanese art history museum in in wayno park like yeah. that stuff of like uh, and I know that's like very touristy, right? There's a there's another school of thought that's just like, no, immerse yourself in the authentic culture. And like, yeah, that's good and important too. Um, but this is, uh, I don't know. I think this is a this is a pretty easy thing to do, and you're it's right, it is right. it is it is valuable and I, enriching yeah. in its own way. Yeah, no, and I do see that. I think traveling abroad, especially, I think that is it is a lot more valuable in that way. Um, stateside. I don't know. Didn't do a lot for me. <laughs> uh, no, I mean there is some. There, I, I've definitely been to. Yeah, I, it doesn't do as much. I feel like in order to, to I just feel like all cities kind of start to look the same a little bit. You know, when you're like landing in an airplane and you look down and you're kind of like, this, this is what this most is fucking cities. John Bon Jovi over here. <laughs> what is this, Memphis? All right, let's rock. <laughs> um, <laughs> No, I understand. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Although it does make the cities that are very like, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to trash on any cities because I, gen- I travel a fuck ton and yeah. play a lot of shows uh, across the country. I am, I am very John Bon Jovi-esque. Um, and I don't have like, I've always thought that about you. Thank you, baby. I don't have like bad city experiences, yeah. but I do have cities that like I fly into and you, you do kind of get that perspective as you are landing and you sort of break the the cloud cover. Um, recently it was Phoenix, like landing in Phoenix, like, Oh fuck. Like they're like in the mountain. That's like a mountain yeah. right there. That's wild. Like, I do appreciate a good mountain. Yeah. I mean, there are cities that it's Seattle. I feel the same way. We're going to Seattle here in a couple of weeks. And I love, I love going to Seattle, like kind of for this very reason, because it's like geographically really fucking interesting. Yeah. Uh, and it also has like a distinctive, a distinctive look. I think I just think that because I feel like I know a little bit more about that city than, than most, but um, that's because I went up the, the space yeah. needle. So yeah. uh, I went up there and I watched, I think the black eyed peas play a show at the stage that is like, like kind of under it for some TV show, maybe Oprah. 
I am tripping balls right now. There's Whoa, no way anything you are I just stringing some things together. Um, but it doesn't just have to be a tower, right? Um, in Hong Kong, there is Victoria Peak, which is this mountain sort of on the western edge of Hong Kong Island, which is sort of the southern uh, portion of Hong Kong. Uh, and that was really cool because it's kind of right on the edge of everything. It's not in the middle of the city. It's like right on the outskirts of it, but it's so high up that you can see everything and when you are in such a like an environment that you are so unfamiliar with like that is a really really cool experience of just sort of getting the getting the the groundwork laid out for you um ferris wheel too like um getting getting a ferris wheel viewpoint of either you know a city where it's a permanent fixture or of the carnival that you're attending um is is neat giving you that viewpoint also ferris wheels just like do a lot i feel like for a city skyline yeah, you're really selling me on this, Griffin. I yeah, I I, I like I and I know it's very basic, like going up a going up this go up the space needle. I feel like sounds very like I'm endorsing sort of this touristy behavior, but I think there's some there's some I have uh having traveled as much as I have, I feel like there are certain like touristy things that are like there's a reason everybody does it yeah, and there's a course. reason everybody should do it is because it's a, it's a genuinely sort of cool and um, uh, like valuable experience to have. Yeah. No, Hey, Hey, Hey listeners, get up high in your own town, get up high in your own town, go, go up a tall building you've never been to before living in the, I lived in the West Virginia building, which is the tallest building in Huntington. And I lived way up there and that was fucking cool. <laughs> that, Cause that was a town I'd lived in for 22 years. Yeah. Um, and, and I saw like new perspectives of it. Mm-hmm. Hey, do you guys deal you away? Whoa. Hey, can I steal you away? <laughs> All right, yeah. Yeah, that would have been better in our Disney episode. Yeah. You want to just go back and edit that in? Yeah, so and then I'll take I'll take the one from that episode and put it in here. Okay, good, good, good. Awesome. It can be intimidating trying to roll with the console cowboys in cyberspace. Um, there's always the worry that maybe they know something that you don't vis-a-vis, um, website design or website functionality. And you think that I could never be that. I could never be among their illustrious ranks. Griffin, if I wanted to build a website where I ranked my favorite episodes of Ghostwriter, would I be able to do that? Well, first of all, it would be the same list as everybody else's with the Julia Stiles episode at the top. But yes, you can do that with Squarespace. It's the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. Every Squarespace website and online store comes with a suite of integrated features and useful guides that help maximize prominence among search results. Do you want to have special functionality, like maybe a members-only VIP club section of your website? You can do that. Do you want to sell stuff? Yeah, you can do that too. Do you want to have an online scheduler so that people, you you can sell uh your time yeah you can do that also anything is possible that's um there for the commercial the super bowl commercial they had that was my voice yelling anything is possible wow yeah not a lot of people know that hey head to squarespace.com slash wonderful pod for a free trial and when you're ready to launch use offer code wonderful pod to save 10 percent off your first purchase of a website or domain griffin yeah you know it's a shame what is that when you order uh, meals to be delivered to you, they can only be for dinner. That's true because of the law. 
but wait, wait, what's this coming across our desk? The law is different now? <laughs> it's factor. These rebels are operating outside the boundaries of food law. <laughs> factor has breakfast. They have midday bites. They have smoothies. Uh, there's lots of stuff you can get with Factor. What other things can you get with Factor? Well, I'm looking at this menu right now. They got a lot of tasty little options for you. I'm talking about artichoke and spinach chicken with roasted zucchini and tomato butter. Did you even know that butter could be tomato? <laughs> Not me. Shredded chicken and loaded mashed taters. With, I changed the word. They say potatoes, but I said taters, precious. With mushroom <laughs> gravy, smoked cheddar, uh, bacon, and Parmesan broccoli. Uh, this this menu is out of sight, and my mouth is just watering looking at these glossy JPEGs of tasty food. So head to factormeals.com slash wonderful50 and use code wonderful50 to get 50% off. That's code wonderful50 at factormeals.com slash wonderful50 to get 50% off. This message is for Scott. It is from Dave. Scott, hello. It is me, your very own friend, Davis Deacon Brawler Baron. I'm here to say you're cool. Thanks for being a cool, good friend. That's a nice quality to have as a human. Uh, good luck with this next part. Well, did you read the note at the top? So Max Fun staff worked together to decipher this next. Okay. So he, let me give you the letters and then I'll, I'll give you the... The codex I received. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the letters are I L U I R I L. Sorry. <laughs> the letters are I L U I R L B B Y. Now they now Which, Max Maximum Fund did give us this this breakdown of yes. the three acronyms. Yes. They, they did then say read it how you interpret it. Like they couldn't also yeah. figure out. So we we think it's I love you in real life, baby. Or bye bye yay okay <laughs> uh, P.S. friendship P.P.S. Rachel and Griffin you're great <laughs> God what won't they say <laughs> uh, is, is B.B.Y. baby I think it's B.B. I don't know anything. I'm going to get that wrong, baby. You've instilled the seed of doubt in my heart. Better be you. Better be you. I love you in real life. Better be you. <laughs> okay. Uh, this next message is for Angela. It is from Sarah. <laughs> hey, BB. See, I'm telling you. <laughs> you are the most wonderful friend. Your honesty and passion for love is everything. Thanks for being my pal since day one when you agreed to go shopping with me after I awkwardly complimented your skirt. But then we went to karaoke instead. Soulmate, sending you all the extra magic today from the voices of these good, good McElroys. That is a wonderful day y'all had. That is a, that's, that's a day worth making like a coming of age movie about, I feel like. We were going to go shopping, but we did karaoke instead. I feel like the first time that you go shopping with a friend always does feel a little awkward. I know. Because you're learning a lot about a person in that moment. Yeah, like what kind of junk they like to buy, um, how they walk between the stores. When I went when I went shopping once with this girl I was friends with in college, mm -hmm. but not very good friends, I always thought she was real cool. And then I felt like, oh, I have to buy something that she thinks is cool, too. Oh, has he bought a gun? No, I bought a pair of purple pants. One of those is even worse than the other one. <laughs> That's not true. I own purple pants and zero guns. Okay. Hi, I'm Biz. And I'm Teresa. And we host One Bad Mother, a comedy podcast about parenting. 
Whether you are a parent or just know kids exist in the world, join us each week as we honestly share what it's like to be a parent. I'm just going to end with this. Everybody, you're doing a remarkable job of swimming through the shit show that is parenting. So join us each week as we judge less, laugh more, and remind you that you are doing a great job. Find us on MaximumFun.org, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You want to hear my second thing? More than anything in my whole life. So I don't know what, what had me on a teen kick, uh, but my second thing, Friday Night Lights yeah, is yeah, a yeah. show about teens, uh, are teen poetry festivals. Yes. I'm so glad that you're doing this one because you sent me some, you sent me one video and as is my custom, mm-hmm. uh, the, YouTube's like Pringles for me, baby. <laughs> I can't, once I pop one, I have to, I watched like 14 teen, teen poetry uh, very, contest entries. very deliberately sent you a link because we've talked a little bit about slam poetry. Sure. And there's a lot of misconceptions out there about it. Uh, yeah. Because there's I a lot of, like any piece of art, there is a lot of bad slam poetry. Can you talk a bit about your sort of background with this like specific yeah, so circuit? This is, this is interesting. So when I finished college, I was an English major and I did an emphasis in creative writing and I moved to Chicago, which has a big like culture of, of performance and, and essayists and, and writers and poets and MCs. And there's just a very vibrant literary, like artistic scene there. Is that where louder than a bomb? Yes. Like, okay. Yes. So I started working at Barnes and Noble in the cafe and then was trying to find gigs that kind of filled my interest. And I just happened to get two things at the same time. I got an internship at the Poetry Center of Chicago. And chicken pox. Oh, uh, man. The story isn't at all connected. <laughs> <laughs> How weird that I brought it up. Uh, which was one day a week. Uh, and it was run by the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. And it was like a, a more kind of refined, like uh, traditional poetry environment. Uh, and then I became the volunteer coordinator for Louder Than a Bomb, which was at that point, gosh, it was 2005. So I think it was in its fourth year. Um, was this before the documentary? Or? Yes. Oh, okay. yes. Several years before. Yeah. They made a documentary about Louder Than a Bomb. That, Actually that got, called Louder Than a Bomb. Yeah, that got some. some it was, it was Oprah. It was Oprah Network. Oh, was it? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know a lot of people in that film because it was only maybe a year after I had left because I I did it in 2005. So they get hundreds of volunteers to like take tickets and um, be judges in poetry slams and, you know, handle like meals and greet people and all that stuff. And so I coordinated volunteers for that festival. And then I came back a second year and did it again uh, because it was just incredibly inspiring. Um, And so I did a little research just kind of on the whole concept of teen poetry festivals because I, I, I wanted to like let people know that there's this whole movement out there of uh, kids doing a lot of performance poetry in this like really kind of incredible, like almost speech and debate kind of style. If speech and debate was cool, and <laughs> sorry, speech and debate folks, <laughs> I don't know how well the comparison holds up because this this was I I went to a lot of speech and debate stuff, uh, and this would this this moved me in a way that speech and debate was yes incapable of ever doing. 
So Ladder Than a Bomb that I referenced uh, came out of 2001. Uh, There was a time in Chicago after uh, September 11th where they uh, were discouraging young people of color in particular from assembling in groups of more than two. So there, there was this kind of what they called like an anti-gang movement. Uh, and so kids were discouraged from congregating together as groups. And Louder Than a Bomb kind of came out of that, of getting groups of kids together to give them kind of voice against authority and, and to speak to their own experience. And so they worked with the Chicago Public Schools uh, and several kind of independent teams to kind of build up this poetry festival. So the poets are 12 to 19 years old in middle or high school uh, or a community organization, and they compete as teams. Yes. And uh, so there are what they call bouts, where a member of each team will perform an individual piece and then they'll perform a group piece. And they are scored, um, and then teams advance to you know, semifinals, quarterfinals, that kind of thing. Um, What I loved about it is they make a big point about how this is like not about winning. You know, this is about sharing your story. Everybody has a story. So the kids in the suburbs that live in Oak Park, Illinois, and, you know, the kids that live, you know, in like less privileged parts of Chicago all have rights to tell their story and all have unique experiences worth sharing. And so they used to do this like call and response thing where the the leaders of them, so Anna West and Kevin Koval were the founders who I got to work with when I was there. And they used to say, the point is not the point. The point is the poetry. <laughs> and all these kids would chant it so enthusiastically. <laughs> it like warmed my heart so much to just see these people. Um, just like, and these kids like cheer for each other and be so moved by each other's stories and like feel so like heard and excited. Uh, and so I did some research on Brave New Voices, which is the international kind of culmination. So the kids that won in Chicago would get to go to Brave New Voices. Uh, and they're kids from like all over the world. Yes, who exactly. Every year, over 500 young poets uh, go to a different U.S. city for four to five days and they get arts education and then they get to like these workshops and, and then they get to perform. Uh, and so I, what I sent Griffin was the 2018 champions, uh, Baltimore was the team that won. They, they were called do D E W do more poetry. I did what end up watching virtually every team that competed. <laughs> yeah. I really, really went to, it is the most poetry I think I've ever consumed in, in one sitting. Yeah. It's, um, so I read a little bit about Brave. So Brave New Voices started in 1996. Oh, wow. Okay. So they just had their, their 20 year anniversary not long ago. Um, but if you read a little bit about Brave New Voices, they say, we firmly believe that young people must think of their voices as vital tools through which they can process their lives, shape the world around them, and hone their abilities to envision and create long-lasting impact. To achieve this, our programs employ best practices of arts education and youth development while encouraging young people to write about issues relevant to them in their own vernacular. We ask young people to engage in their own cultures to help bridge their personal literacies and the traditional academic literacies presented in school. Fuck yeah. It's just, it's incredible to watch these students get up and, and, you know, I mean, they're teenagers, right? So a lot of it is, you know, very dramatic and it's very emotional. And, and there's a, a tendency, I think, as an adult to start to listen to this and think like, oh, 
yeah, I know this kid, you know, like there, there's something about that experience of being a teenager that everybody thinks they understand. But what is, I think, incredible about these performances is these, these poets have, you know, have had the opportunity to really work with mentors and professionals and really get at exactly what it is about them that makes them so unique and makes their experience like so worth sharing you know it's and really it's, it's, it's inspiring really to fucking watch. remarkable go go watch some of the these the, the brave the new group voices pieces. the group pieces are the best you sent me one that was all about how cartoon cartoons like yeah like, that's the baltimore uh, team dropping that a lot of names of like cartoons was more of a I, I got it. I, it's hard to really put this into words. Was more of a positive uh, role model, guiding force in in the lives of young queer people than a, a lot of adults who were supposed to be taking care of them were. And it it it, it drops. It talks about this obviously very very serious subject and does it through the lens of these these things that were important to me when I was a kid weren't just like, yeah. they weren't just stupid cartoons. They were standing in for something that like you were supposed to be giving me. Yeah, like making me feel accepted. Oh my God, and, and, Yeah, so if you're up. looking for this, so the YouTube channel is Youth Speaks. Uh, and the piece we're speaking of is Brave New Voices Finals 2018 Baltimore Round 2. Uh, it's fucking incredible. I'll, I'll tell you, like, I think what what moved me so much was obviously like you said, like seeing this like um, very, very talented and brilliant group of like young, super diverse poets get, get out there and tell their stories in such a like crystal clear, like uh, very like super, super relatable way was like very moving. But there's also, I think an impulse that like I am kind of aging into of, um, and and it's something I feel kind of guilty about, and I think that's normal too. Of like, oh wow, we're gonna be okay because the 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 people younger than me, the next generation, are gonna like save the world. Yeah, uh-huh. and it's a and watching these videos, you you get that. Like, yeah. oh my god, if if this is if this is the next generation, that's great, and. That is, I, I feel guilty about that because it's like they sh- they shouldn't have to. A lot of their poetry is about how they were they were wronged by generations that came before them, and so for us to like look at their their beautiful stories and think like ah, we're going to be okay is a very very like privileged way to look at it. Well, it just tells it shares with you the value of empowering young people. You know, yeah. I think so much, and that's and that's what and the they brave seem, new... they are powerful as fuck yeah. in these videos. The, the the Brave New Voices kind of mission is to kind of bridge that understanding of like scholarly, like I go to school and I get talked to and I learn about other people's stories. And here's how I have my own story and yeah. how I tell it. And, you know, with the influence and support of what I'm learning in school. Uh, and when you give young people an opportunity to do that and motivate them and make them feel valuable. Like there's so much strength there. It's so inspiring. I watch those group performances where what'll usually happen is they'll, you know, they'll they'll have 
portions of it where they're speaking in unison, where they have shared, mm-hmm. you know, lines, and then they will break off and kind of individually tell their own piece and their own story and then come back together and speak in kind of one voice. And I just get chills same, nonstop, same. just over and over again chills because they'll say something incredibly powerful and then they'll all join together and say something as a group. And it's just like, oh my gosh, when I, when I got to witness this in person, like I would really recommend you checking out videos because... Um, there's one thing to like read a poem and there's another thing to see a group of people perform it together with just all of their heart, you know, and energy and, and like choreography, choreography yeah, sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, it's fucking great. Um, my second thing, I feel like this is gonna be pretty fast. It's a song. Um, I realized I've never talked about iron and wine before, which is weird because that they, he, I guess may be like pound for pound. My like, yeah, that's crazy to me that you have favorite. Um, I've talked about some of my favorites, but when I think about like the music that has meant, uh, a lot to me for, for a long time, it, it's iron and wine. Uh, I want to talk specifically about, um, I thought about bringing like some, some albums of his, but, uh, I think it would be better to just drill down into one song. It's uh, the trapeze swinger. Um, and uh, it's, 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 it's a very, very beautiful song that I think kind of, kind of encapsulates some of my favorite stuff. So iron and wine is a, a American singer songwriter. Uh, his name is Sam beam, but he uh, performs under the name iron and wine, which I think he got from some sort of like old timey supplement that was like get your get your oh. your bone in iron and wine uh i forget the the exact story about it um and he just plays these like really um uh, like occasionally like remarkably gentle and and lovely folk songs although i think as his career progressed he sort of experimented with other um funkier genres um and that stuff is good too but sort of uh for for me the golden age was uh his 2004 album which is called our endless numbered days which if you watched any movie or watched any tv show from the years uh 2004 to 2006 you defo heard uh some music from this he had he had music um I don't know, man, probably like Grey's Anatomy. I'm just spitballing here, but I'm betting that there were multiple songs on there. He had a song on the Garden State soundtrack, um, which is how I was first exposed to to his music. Um, the Trapeze Swinger is actually, it was written for a movie. It wasn't on an album before. It was first uh, released on an album on uh, Around the Well, which is like this rarities and b-sides compilation album that is fucking phenomenal uh it was written for the movie in good company remember that one no <laughs> yeah that was topher grace and dennis quaid and scar joe and topher grace is i guess working for Den. i saw this movie i definitely saw oh it my I, was, I think I, it was one of those i think i rented it at blockbuster if that sort of places it mm-hmm. in time for you but like dennis dennis quaid was like Tover Grace's boss, but Tover Grace was dating ScarJo, who was yeah. Okay, this sounds familiar. Uh, Dennis Quaid's daughter, um, and I don't remember the movie being good, but this song is a fucking like folk <laughs> masterpiece, and it was written for it. It's a weird. It's a. It's it's definitely the best thing to come out of this film. So I, would, I should go watch this movie. No, I wouldn't say to do that, but okay. I will say that the Trapeze Swinger is my favorite original song from oh, so a Topher beautiful. from a Topher Grace movie. <laughs> uh, I'm going to play a little bit of it of it now and then sort of talk about why I like it. Please remember me happily by the rosebush laughing with the bruises 
So the, the song is nine and a half minutes long because it's so ambitious in scope. Like and you remember when we were looking for wedding songs? And yeah. I think we were thinking about this one, and then we looked at the time. Our, on fir- it. our first dance song was uh, uh, Iron and Wine's cover of "Such Great Heights," the the Postal Service song, because it's such a beautiful song, it's and beautiful. it's like a, it has like a nice sort of romantic. Y'all picking a first dance song is fucking tough it's so hard it is so tough like i i felt pretty sure that an iron wine song would do it because all of his songs are so beautiful and about love but also a lot of his songs are about (laughs) love and death our endless numbered days is first of all titled our endless numbered days so like any track off that is going to be like i love you i love you i love you we're ashes and bones in the ground and it's like ah shit you couldn't stop before the third thing um (laughs) <laughs> the trappy swinger is, is is no different this is a song if god okay it's it's it is a message right it's like a, a letter or a missive of some sort from somebody who has passed away to uh a former love of theirs who is still alive that is sort of brass tacks like what this song is about but I, it tries to in in eight verses no choruses just eight verses back to back to back tries to uh capture sort of the entire life experience uh through the through the lens of this relationship every verse uh starts out with please remember me and then some sort of direction in which that this person wants to be uh remembered uh and it it reflects on this this person this couple's life and their experiences it also includes um this really really beautiful sort of interpretation of the afterlife specifically standing at the pearly gates and seeing messages that people have written on the pearly gates to the people who are still alive who are going to get there after them so that they can like find each other like oh shit like yeah all right sam this is this is my favorite verse um it goes please remember me fondly i heard from someone you're still pretty and then they went on to say that the pearly gates had some eloquent graffiti like we'll meet again and fuck the man and tell my mother not to worry and angels with their gray handshakes were always done in such a hurry like Mm. it's it's it I, i feel like there is a type of song that is so melodramatic that is like so like Oh God, you're writing a song about like, I feel this way about, um, and that I'm not better than the, I'm not above this song, but do you know, uh, I will follow you into the dark by death cab for cutie. Yes. Uh, that, uh, that's like a song. That's like it, when you, when you die, I'll die there right with you, buddy. And it's like, <laughs> whoa, shit, death. And I, I think this is like touching that rail a little bit yeah. for sure. Um, but it does so, so beautifully. Like the, the, the imagery of this song is so, so gorgeous. Um, it's, it's unbelievably sad. Uh, like a lot of Iron and Wine's music is sad, but it's like that good kind of sad that makes you feel like contemplative and romantic, which no surprise, like this came out in 2004. I graduated college or high school in 2005. So I was like strapped in ready for the fucking ride 
that this album and all of Iron and Wine's music would like take me. I rode this wave for the next four <laughs> fucking years, and it sort of defined this like period of like melancholy, but this like very uh, indulgent melancholy yes. that's not all bad because it, you're sort of taking a, a big look at the bigger picture of Gosh, things. Indulgent melancholy could be one of our wonderful things. I know. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think that there's a definitely an unhealthy way to take that, but I. Think think that there's also oh, a, har- yeah. a harmless and like fun way Can to take that. I tell that? you, it's one of the things that I miss most about my 20s is yeah. indulgent melancholy. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and this is this is for sure a soundtrack to that. But I, I also think that it uh, transcends it. And I yeah. also think it is like one of the most beautiful songs ever written, both sort of like l- lyrically and narratively, but also like it checks like all the iron and wine boxes of shit I love, like very simple chord progression, really beautiful harmonies, really like a rhythmic acoustic guitar, like all of that stuff that was all over Endless Numbered Days and uh, Creek Drank the Cradle and uh, Around the Well and all those albums. It's like, uh, that's like my favorite stuff that Iron and Wine mm-hmm. does. And this song has it all in this nine and a half minute. It's a fucking super long song that weirdly, like miraculously when it's over, you, when somebody does Highway to Hell at karaoke, I get furious. <laughs> Because it's like, okay, the rest of us want to sing too. Like, I felt all 15 minutes of that fucking Meatloaf song. Oh, do you mean Bad Out of Hell? Bad Out of Hell. Yes. Yeah. So sorry. Okay. Um, but this song, nine and a half minutes goes by, and I feel like I. I, I what if somebody did that song at karaoke? <laughs> okay. That would actually be terrible. <laughs> that would be really, really bad. Uh, yeah, because I don't want to get that sad when I'm. People who do sad songs at karaoke, I don't know sometimes. Is there a good sad karaoke song that's like. Ooh. Oh, this is a good one. This is a good prompt. <laughs> Man, it's tough to say. There's good sad songs. I was thinking like yesterday by the Beatles, but like oh. I don't, that's not a good karaoke. Is song. what's up a sad song? No, it's a powerful song. <laughs> Fast car. Have you ever seen someone do that at karaoke? I think I've seen Justin do that at karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the Trappy Swinger is great. Uh, it's off around the well, which uh, I well, it's off uh, in good company, uh, but it's also on around the well if you want to go listen to it. That whole album, man, that used to be. I would put that whole. I had that whole album on my Zune. It was like two discs, and the first disc was like his really lo-fi. Yeah. Like uh, the C and Rhythm like era shit that was I still that's still my favorite. And we have that on vinyl now actually. We do, yeah. And it's two discs. One one side of one uh, <laughs> record is the trapeze swing. Yeah, you're it takes right. up an entire side. <laughs> uh, it's it's fucking it's it, it, it's it's a beautiful song. It's one of my favorite songs. Uh, do you want to know what some of our listeners' favorite stuff is? Yes. Uh, Aaron says, I just love seeing little kids with their big backpacks. They're ready to take on the world, and their Paw Patrol backpacks are going to hold it for them. That is the cutest. I, You know what I thought about the other day? Because people talk about how Henry's going to be older before we know it. Yes. I pictured him walking into elementary school with a big backpack. I need I, to listen to Iron and Wine right now. <laughs> I almost lost my mind. Oh, my God. How could you do that to me? <laughs> I'm sorry. Just the image of him. You knocked the wind out of him. I know. Jessica. (laughs) He's not even two yet, so we have some time. Not any time at all. Our days are numbered and endless and beautiful (laughs) and poignant. 
Jessica says, my partner roasts coffee. So even on days that our schedules don't allow us to see each other, he is always a part of my morning. Isn't that nice? That's so nice. Because it gets in the, to the hot bean territory. And I love that. But like, what if, what if I made you special hot beans? And then when I traveled and you made the hot beans in the morning to make the coffee. That would be perfect. It, it would be like a, my stink was all around. And I get to stop sleeping in your dirty clothes. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> Hayden, this is an emotionally challenging user submission, <laughs> listener submission segment. I like how I said user. <laughs> Welcome user to the wonderful experience. Please enter disc A to continue. What if podcasts came out in the early 80s and were delivered on floppy disks? Oh, that's a, that's my new fucking aesthetic. That's like my that's like my new vaporwave I'm surprised podcast. Hipsters haven't started doing that. Of like here's here's my next episode on floppy disks. Could you even we would have to compress it a lot cuz I don't know how big I think you can get like 64 oh, megabytes. Well, people on would have to get floppy disk players. <laughs> they probably do. Man, I loved a good floppy disk. Not the big ones, like the 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 tinier ones. Oh, yeah. The, okay. Like hard plastic ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like more floppy, though. Hayden says, <laughs> I work closing shifts at Starbucks, and after work, I go for a long walk at a nearby park. There are so many rabbits at this park late at night, and rabbits are my absolute favorite animal. I didn't know this happened. The, the rabbits come. The rabbits come out at night. I didn't know that that happened. Oh, what song were you just singing? Then you know the freaks come out at night. The no. freaks come out at night. No. The freaks come out at night. I like that. That reminds me though, and I don't want to detract from the rabbits, but I saw eleven deer tonight. Holy shit! What? We have a lot of deer in our area, and they had all congregated in somebody's yard. They were having a little deer meeting. I tell you, when I take the trash out to the garbage cans, I see a frog every time. <laughs> This is great. This is great podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and it can be great too, because it's like if you want to hear the rest of the frog story, insert disc seventeen. <laughs> and then it's up to you. Like if you do not want to hear the frog story, I totally get it. Pop right in eighteen, and we'll we'll keep we'll tell you about the closer. <laughs> We're gonna read all about um, sort of the Max Fun Network and Thank Bowen and Augustus and all that. Stuff. Oh, you don't want to do that disc either. Okay, we'll see you next week. <laughs> Expect the next package in the mail. So I do want to thank Bowen and Augustus for the use of our theme song, Money Won't Pay. Oh, it's such a good song. It's a really good song. You can find a link to that in the episode description. Uh, I want to thank Max Fun for having us on the network. You can go to MaximumFun.org. Check out all the great shows there. Shows like One Bad Mother. Uh, shows like Inside Pop. Shows like Bubble or Bubble. Judge John Hodgman. Yes. And so many more at uh, MaximumFun.org. You can check out the other stuff we do at McElroyShows.com. What else? Baby. Please review our show positively on your podcast app. Yeah, every time you do that, we get $100. And the other <laughs> no. podcasts won't tell you that, but every time you do that, we get $100 from um, from uh, from Apple. Uh, so that's going to do it for us this week. We'll be back next time with a, a whole lot of um, just scandalicious sort of scoop. Some celebrity goss. I think the next one we're going to talk about what is new with Pierce Brosnan. Alf. Dennis Quaid, Topher Grace. Topher Grace. What was that name that you said that I didn't recognize? Spiven? No. <laughs> 
surely there's something in it that's going to be a good final thing to say I would think loud. so, unless you want me to talk about the juice boxes that are in your trash can. Oh, goodbye, everybody. <laughs> I will not. I No. <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported. We've all made mistakes in book club, right? You drink a little too much. You don't actually read the book. And if you're under the bubble in Fairhaven, your individual will get subsumed by the collective. Hey, maybe I just let him go and whip us up some guac. We do not require guac. We require only nutrients and expansion. You will become Book Club. You will eat, pray, and love with us. Join Book Club. Bubble, the sci-fi comedy from MaximumFun.org. Just open your podcast app and search for Bubble. Bubble.